just going to say a quick prayer before we get into the word. Father, I just thank you so much for this moment. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you you have uh, prepared me for this season, and I thank you, God. Thank you for your grace that you have entrusted me with. Father, I thank you for this beautiful family, River House. I thank you for what you are doing here. God, I thank you that the only reason you would have me speak is because you do have a word for us tonight. And so I submit myself under the authority of your Holy Spirit, and I welcome you, Holy Spirit, over this place. We acknowledge you, Holy Spirit, that outside of you, the truth of God's word cannot become alive. So we say, come Holy Spirit and make your truth become real to us. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so this is Thanksgiving week. And I just want to say I'm very thankful to be part of this beautiful family of movement. And I just want to say thank you to Mama Robin for the way she has gone after the Lord that have really paved the way for her sons to embrace God in such a way that this has become a movement of family. It's so beautiful. Thank you so much for your yes to Jesus. And Jordan, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I feel like where we're at right now in River House is really a birthing of God's work that's happening Uh, I believe that Mama Robin's personal devotion and timeless, you know, being on his knees, going after God in a secret place has overflowed in such a way that her sons have been so impacted and that she has become this ark of her family. And like if you think of the days of Noah, Noah built an ark that saved his entire family. And I believe that what Robin has, has gone off to God in the secret place has built this ark that his sons have not only been saved, but have added on the ark and built more. And what has happened is that this ark has become so big for their own family that the father just goes, how about we invite Boise to be part of? And so... I really believe that what's happening is that it's a devotional life. It's an overflow of a family's commitment to the Lord. And the beautiful thing is that as all of us are part of this ark, uh, I believe that as we come under this ark, we are also being invited into cultivating uh, devotions in our own life. And our own families become this ark, and multiples of arcs fill the earth, you know. And we begin to see our communities, our family be transformed because as a family, we've said yes to Jesus. And so thank you so much, Robin, for, for the way you've gone after God. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 makes this amazing statement that oftentimes when I read it, it's with the connotation of the increase of wickedness on the earth. And what he says is, he says, in the last days will be like the days of Noah. And, and then what follows is he talks about all the scenes that were present. And every time I've, I've heard that scripture preached or thought on, or even when I think of it, I think of, oh yeah, it's just getting bad. Hell is breaking loose. And that's the sign that Jesus is coming close. So just pray and Hold on to your dear life until Jesus comes back. 
But I think I've just been starting to have a glimpse of understanding like when Jesus said the last days will be like the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, it wasn't only the wickedness. It was also the ark. And the Old Testament is most times a picture of, of what God wants to do. In a sense, it's a prototype of what Jesus really was going to do. Old Testament speaks of Jesus. The ark was the salvation of God, Jesus Christ. And, and I believe that when Jesus was saying that the end times will be like the days of Noah, perhaps he wasn't talking more about the increase of wickedness, but more of an increase of ox covering the earth, carrying the glory of God. And so why I'm saying this, in Isaiah 59 verse 19, it says uh, that when the enemy comes like a flood, I will raise up my standard, says the Spirit of God. Uh, it also says in Joel chapter 2 that I will pour out my spirit in the end times. And sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see dreams and old will uh, see visions. It says in Romans chapter 5 verse 20 and 21, it also states where sin increase, grace abounds all the more. So what I'm trying to propose here is that perhaps Jesus wasn't saying what's for all hell to break loose. And when that happens, just pray and hold on to your life because I'm coming. Maybe that wasn't the focus because he was about to go on the cross, read open the veil, what he was saying. And then we get to become the carriers of the glory of God. So maybe what he was saying more is about the ark. That just like in the days of Noah, the ark was the vessel that saved his family. In these end times, it's the family devotion, the family communion, individual uh, intimacy with the Lord flowing into family, overflowing and spilling into our streets, corners, everywhere. Maybe that's what he was talking more about. And so... I believe that we are in a moment of movement that it's not a grand idea that someone had, but I believe that it birthed from the heart of God. That the Father's desire has always been that the love that existed in the Trinity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to overflow into mankind, and they created man so that this love can extend to humanity. The mandate to Adam was that multiply and fill the earth after your own kind. And I think we're living in a picture of what God desired. So what I'm trying to bring to us tonight is that we are, we are in, a, in a movement of what God is doing on the earth that is not just another church movement, but it's literally an overflow of a devotion of a family. And so that is an invitation for all of us to receive the grace that's valuable over us to say, thank you, Robin, for the way you've gone after God. Now that we've come under this, we're going to run with the Spirit of God. Also seeing ox in our own family. And God wants to, the prayer of Jesus in John 17 was that when the wolves see our love for one another, then... 
they will know God. And that's, that's what's happening, guys. And I remember when Matty Montgomery was here, he talked about the revival that's coming. It's a revival of a family where a community of people who are immersed in the secret place with a father, out of that place, having a community of devotion that begins to overflow into our cities and touch the nations around the earth. So I just want to really say that to say that we are in an amazing moment in history. And the way in which you position yourself to receive now in how you become part of what God is doing. Now, in the days of Jesus, Jesus walked on the earth with the people. Uh, He did all the miracles that indicated a sign that he was just more than mere human being. But yet, the people in his days did not fully see who he, he was. The Bible says they believed, they were amazed, they were perplexed. But it really never says that they fully allowed themselves to receive who Jesus was. Because later when Jesus asked a question to the disciples, who do men say I am? Even his disciples give men's opinion about who Jesus was. They say, some say you're prophet Elijah, some say you're Moses, some say you are this and that. And then the Spirit of God speaks to Peter, no, you are the Christ. So what I'm trying to say is that Even in the days of Jesus, people did not fully understand Jesus because they had some knowledge, some revelation, some understanding of who Jesus was. And that was what kept them from fully receiving Jesus as the Messiah. Because they said, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And we know Jesus is from Nazareth. We know his mom and dad. And so... What they knew of Jesus became the obstacle that kept them from the more of who Jesus was. And the question is asked to us today is that, what is it that I know of Jesus that's keeping me from the more of Jesus? Remember the manner in the, in the Old Testament, they had to come back for more. Today's bread is not sufficient. We have to come back. And so... I'm asking this question to myself. What is it I know of Jesus that's keeping me from the more? What experience I've had of Jesus? Uh, what manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Or what knowledge that I've received of Jesus that I have built a small little thing around it and say, I've, I know something that you don't know. That maybe that's keeping me from the more of Jesus. And so... The same, I believe, can be asked of this movement. What is it that we know already since we've been two years old of Pastor Jordan or Robin or the leadership team? We can ask the same question of each other. What is it that we know of each other that's keeping us from the more? Because you can only, in the things of God, to the degree that you hunger for God is to the degree God's going to meet you. But if you are comfortable being familiar with what your assumption and my assumption is of what God is doing, then maybe we just close the lead and we don't get to fully see what God wants to do. And so what I'm trying to say is that we have to maintain our wonder of what God is doing that protects the anointing of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing over us here. 
so that we never get comfortable with what he is doing. And the more we become a hungry people, the more God begins to pour out, the more we see multiples of ox filling all of Boise, every family with an ark. It's amazing. And then that being transported to the nations of the earth. And so the law of familiarity is something that kills life. Once you become so familiar with something, there is this notion of I know it. I've been there, done it, know it all. And so what I want to also propose to us is that when we are coming to be part of what God is doing here every Sunday or every time we meet, I want you to allow yourself to instead of, because by now we all have, you know, who have already have formed an idea of what the movement is. And of who Pastor Jordan is, what kind of guy he is, uh, of who Robin is, and of who the leadership team is. It's, in a sense, very natural to do that. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to take us, blow that lead off and say, no, I'm not going to be comfortable with what I think I know because there is more. If we allow ourselves and allow the Spirit of God, then God's going to begin to birth something great within us. Because the, the strategy of the enemy is always been to categorize something and then name it and then explain it away. That's what they did to Jesus. That's why they missed him. First, you have to name it and say, oh, it falls under this category. And then if you can name something and, and have an idea of what it is, then you can have the ability to explain it away. But if you keep your hearts open... And let the Spirit of God to continue the work He's began in us, then there is no limit what God's going to take us in what He's doing in here. Amen. Yeah. So, my title today, tonight for us, is what, what is the significance of serving as it relates to our destiny? And serving can oftentimes be seen as this not so significant. Huh? But if you really look at the heart of the Trinity, they're all about serving each other. You, if you, genuine love cannot ignore to serve. Serving looks like giving time, your resources, yourself. And I think we see a very beautiful picture of that and I'll just try to paint a picture that is not entirely scriptural, but just a picture to give you an idea of what this may have been for the Trinity. Let's say in eternity past, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit came together. And the Father goes, I love you so much, Holy Spirit. I love you so much, Jesus. What can I do for you? And then the, the, the son goes, no, I love you both so much. What can I do for you? The Holy Spirit goes, no, I love you both so much. What can I do? And then the father goes, I think I have an idea. And how about we create man in our own image, in our own likeness, that we can actually extend this fellowship and love to. And the Holy Spirit steps in and says, I think I'm foreseeing a problem. Because if we are going to create man with mind, will, and emotion, ability to originate their own choices, 
that would pose the possibility of rebellion. And the father goes, I thought that true, but it's a risk I'm willing to take because I love you both so much. I want to serve you. And this is how I want to. Jesus steps in and goes, I totally see the problem, but I am willing to lay down my life if that ever happens. That's why in Revelation chapter 13 it says, He was the lamb that was slain from the beginning of the foundation. Before everything was made, Jesus said, I am willing to lay down my life and serve mankind because I love the Father and the Holy Spirit so much. He died a long time ago. And when he actually came and died, he, it was not some idea. The father goes, we need to redeem mankind. How about you go? He goes, Jesus simply stayed true to his word. And he came. The most amazing thing is this that I'm starting to discover is that when God created man in the Garden of Eden, uh, he gave authority over to man, right? And God does not violate his word. He holds his word above He's even his own name. That's what it says in Isaiah. And what does John say? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was made flesh. So Jesus was the word. So the father holds his son above his even name. So what happened was the fall of man came, and man fell into sin, and the Bible says in Ephesians that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. So when Adam sinned, Romans chapter 5 says, sin reigned over everyone because everybody walked in selfishness as he did. Therefore, sin reigned. Jesus Goes, he tells the father, it's my turn to go when the fullness of time came. And it's so amazing for me to think that the Holy Spirit of God took Jesus, the living word, the eternal one, made him into a seed and put him inside a woman's womb. If Jesus, Jesus if the Holy Spirit can take Jesus and make him into a seed form and put him in a wo woman's womb, what can he do with us? <laughs> it's a crazy thought. Like, what can he possibly do with my life? What can he possibly do with your life? What can he possibly do with this movement of River House that God is doing? And so Jesus becomes the seed in a woman's womb because Jesus knows one thing about the enemy. He's called the accuser. And one of the greatest things that will cause us from actually laying down our lives and serving is the accusation of the enemy. Look, you, you're just sweeping the floor. You're just doing these and, and so and so are out there doing what? He comes to accuse and Jesus wanted to make sure that he shuts the mouth of the accuser completely. That's why when he came, he, he was not as a God. He came as a seed form in a woman's womb, just like I came, just like you came. Carried by a woman for nine months on the earth. Now think of it. 
the one through whom everything was made, and without him there was nothing that was made, being carried by the one who was made. And while Jesus was being carried by Mary, he was still carrying Mary. It's, it's a crazy mystery. But he humbled himself. It's a humility that he was willing to serve us. In Mark it says that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What I'm trying to propose to us as well is that we are, we've been called to serve. That's who we are. Even if you graduate from sweeping the floor or, or doing little grocery stuff to being in a very uh, leadership role, it's still serving on a higher level. But it's still serving. To eternity, it makes no difference. To us, we're like, oh, you're up here. I'm down here. I'm doing this. You're doing that. But what if we can take our eyes off of the way we humans preserve serving and see it from eternity's perspective. Because every single yes to do whatever God puts in front of us is what's going to equip us to carry his glory. Amen. Jesus had to make sure he shuts the mouth of the accuser. That's why he became a seed in a woman's womb, carried for nine months, being born just as a baby, had his diaper wiped by the mother, it's crazy. Lived as a little boy, grew up, and Jesus lived perfectly for 30 years. Now, if it was just about the blood of Jesus being shed on Calvary and me being forgiven, why didn't he come as a full man? God could do that. But Jesus was more than just forgiving. He came to shut the mouth of the accuser. And how did the accuser got the authority through flesh and blood he created that he deceived in the garden? So the fall came through man handing the authority over. Therefore, God established the law for the purpose of getting, restoring people back to him. But the law was imperfect. So nobody could keep it. Jesus showed up and he goes, I will show, as long as nobody could keep it, he still could accuse us. Jesus shows up, walks 30 years perfectly on earth. What was he doing for the 30 years? If he came just to die on the cross, he was keeping the law to the T. Every single one of them as men on flesh and bones. That's why he shows up to John the Baptist. John the Baptist at Jordan River, and he goes, you need to baptize me. And what did John say? Here comes the Lamb of God who taketh the sins of the world. And he goes, no, I need to be baptized by you. There was a small debate about who needs to be baptized. And then Jesus' response was so powerful. And I think if we capture this, it will totally change our mindset as we see the enemy as the accuser. What did Jesus say? Let us do it in this way so that we can fulfill all righteousness. Now, here's the deal. John was the last of the prophets. Prophets in the Old Testament were covenant enforcers. 
Their job was simply whenever Israel was a nation under covenant with God. Whenever they walked away from God, prophets would come, call them back to the covenant. That was their job. Repent, come back to the covenant. John shows up, lost of the type of the old covenants, calls people back to repentance. John, I believe, knew that he was a prophet that was here to announce uh, something greater than the old, but still probably didn't have a whole understanding of what it was, but he, he was faithful to it. And so John represents the old covenant. The old covenants were... Prophets were the guys who were the enforcers or stewards over the old covenant. Jesus here, 30 years, has been walking perfectly, keeping the law to the T. As a result, obtaining the rights to be the guy that shuts the chapter. So he shows up to John and he goes, let us do this in this way so that we can fulfill all righteousness. John takes him, dips him in the water. Who has the authority to enforce the old law? In the water. And as Jesus rose up, he rose up on behalf of the new covenant. The new covenant wasn't on the cross. It was right at Jordan River. When he was baptized by John, he buried that old dying thing in there. He rose up. That's why the Spirit, Heaven parted open, and the Spirit of the living God descended upon Jesus as an initiation of the new covenant. And then the Father goes, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, it, was it just because Jesus was God's son? So he said, this is my beloved son. I have a thought. And I believe that the reason why Jesus said, this is my, uh, God said, this is my beloved son, wasn't only because Jesus was his son. But it was because he had kept the law to the T. Perfectly as man. And he closed that chapter. And once and for all shut the mouth of the accuser. Completely. And then what preceded was what led him to the cross that he died on Calvary and rose up again. I think there's an interesting thing that when Jesus hangs on the cross, he goes, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the Holy Spirit was with him the whole time. Could it be because right before he went and died on Calvary, the Spirit of God left him? Because he had to do this as full man so that the enemy has not a single accusation against God and Jesus. So that as man he does it, it was his perfection that destroyed the old law, shed his blood, bringing the covenant for the new. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because... If we are ever going to be a people who are called to serve, the accuser, accuser won't leave us alone. He will accuse us night and day, day and night. That's where that's he starts making comparisons like you are not in places where you're supposed to be. Look at so and so. But if we understand that his voice has been silenced by the perfection of the master himself, he has no authority over us. 
And so I'm sharing this to show you also that Jesus himself was the servant who went all the way and served. I have good news for you. We are created for good works. It's easy to think that it's, it's, yes, it is not by works that we are saved, but it is for good works that we are saved. We were created by God prior to man sinning for good works. That's what God gave Adam. But when man sinned, works became the means to get back to God and become right. But when Jesus showed up, he restored us back so that now I do good works, I serve, not as a means to be justified or become right with God, but simply so that I've been made justified already. Doing good works is a way of the kingdom of God. Serving is the culture of the kingdom of God. You look in the picture of the, in Revelation, everybody up there is serving. And I believe that that's what we've been made for. And so to try to say that it's not about works and only about grace is to deny the real fact that tomorrow we're going to all wake up and go to work. <laughs> so we are here for good works. But works as a result of being made right as righteousness of God. Not as a means to be righteous but as a result of being righteous. And I think the difference between good works and your identity, then that's the church right there, where you need to silence the accuser's voice and get back into the side of the covenant Jesus initiated with his perfection. And I'm just going to get us to Luke chapter 15. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's turn it over to Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, all the way to verse 32. And most times when, when this story has been shared or preached or thought, it's from the stance of the prodigal son coming home, and which is very true because the context of what Jesus is saying is, is when the sinners in the, were coming to him and then the Pharisees were remembering, saying, he, he's associating himself with sinners. But this, the story here is, in verse 11 it says, and he, said, and he said, a man had two sons, a younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So, so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together, and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with lost living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens. It's funny, if he would have stayed with his father, he'll be serving with his elder brother. But he chose to go, and then later he's hiring himself out. And he would 
have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, and he said, How many of my father's hired men have more to eat than uh, more bread and enough? But I'm dying here in hunger. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to the father. The rest of the story we know. He goes to his father and says, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm just going to be a servant. But before he went, the father runs down, grabs him, put on a robe and a huge feast for him. And then the elder brother comes, finds out what's going on. And then he gets really offended. That, that just happened. And then the father's response later was, all that's mine is yours. And what, why, why are you offended? It's been yours the whole time. What I want to point out is that the younger brother had a powerful revelation. It was that he knew his identity so well. He understood that as a son of his father, he has inheritance in his father. Also, he was secure about his father's love. So he went by and goes, I'm your son. I have an inheritance. Give me my inheritance. But the only problem was that he lacked the older brother's commitment, covenant, and stewardship. So what happened was the young brother has this beautiful revelation about his inheritance. And he just goes, I just got to get out and go do it. Give me my inheritance. And he takes it and runs off, but it was outside of the season that the father has intended him to have that inheritance. Because in order to appropriately use the inheritance, he needed the older brother's commitment to get him grounded, to understand why he has been blessed with the inheritance. The older brother, on the other hand, had this amazing understanding of commitment. We're family. We stick with family. We serve. It's the father's business. Sounds just like we're in a family business. But he also lacked the younger brother's understanding of revelation, a revelation of identity and inheritance. If you read in the earlier passage, it says that he divided the estate falls to, to both of them equally. So it was his from the beginning, but because he lacked the revelation to recognize that it was his the whole time, he was just functioning as a servant instead of having access to it. So what the enemy always likes to do is to is when God gives us beautiful revelation about who we are and what we are made for and the fact that we have the Spirit of God inside of us. And oftentimes, he writes that revelation to lie to us, to, to try to get it done outside of the season. When a promise comes, there is a process to stay committed so that when the time comes, we are able to steward what God gives us. And so, what I'm trying to say here is that... We are in a movement that the Father's heart, I believe it's, it's out of the heart of God's desire. And God is doing something so amazing within us. And 
It's, it's a movement where there is, we have the emphasis of the, the reality that we have to understand our identity, that we are righteous sons and daughters of God. We've been called for this time. We've been anointed by God to, to see his glory come. It's our inheritance to see heaven come on earth. But at the same time, we cannot overlook what the elder brother did. Because the only way that we will steward what he releases over us will be based upon how we gave ourselves to being committed in these little moments. Because God's heart is to bless us and release all of what he has over us. But if we are not seasoned and grounded to carry that weight, he won't give us. And it's not him withholding glory and honor from us. It's just that we have set ourselves up to not being able to carry it. It's like I can be my father's son and we grow up in the same home. Uh, we, me and my brothers are so secure in our father's love. Uh, and I just decided I just want to sit in my father's basement since he loves me so much and just play video games all day long. And I'm like 25 years old. And my father is so amazing. He loves me so much. He just comes home and goes, son, I love you. Daddy, thank you so much. I'm so loved. And I just keep playing. I'm securing my father's uh, love for me. I know that I'm my father's son and what's his is mine. And I'm just sitting there, just playing. That's not sufficient if we want to carry the weight of the glory of God. But let's say, on another hand, I had another brother who was not only okay being his father's son and being secure in the love, but he allowed his love, the father's love for him, to push him to a place of, I got to find out how I'm going I'm to carry the family business forward. And he starts hanging out with his dad. And when he goes for his golf games, he goes, Dad, can I come with you? And starts asking him questions, getting closer to his heart. And begin to understand what he was, what his father is made of, what his father is pleased with. And how his father's vision is to take this family business to the next generation. And, and finally... The father finds the brother who hangs out with him. The thing is this. They are both loved equally. Who do you think the father will give the inheritance to? He can say to the, me who sits in the basement, I got some stuff, a uh, little bit of share over here. You can continue to use it and do what you want. But I believe that the whole business will go over to the other brother who took the time to do whatever little things that was necessary to know the heart of the Father. So what I'm trying to say is that just knowing what we are made for and being secure in our Father's love is what we are made for. But it's not enough to prepare us for the glory of God if we we're going to carry that. We have to grow out of that place into a place of, I've got to know what God's heart is. I have to understand what moves his heart. And 
What I want to say over us here is that we're a movement of people. God has ordained River House as a church, as an administration outpost through which he will release his glory from heaven on earth and then become distributed to the nations of the earth. And we are part of that. I can say I'm a Papua New Guinean ambassador because I'm from my country and wear the flag of my country and then just be like, yeah, I represent my country. But if my country wants to do business with U.S., they don't call me. They call the embassy of Papua New Guinea in Washington. And if I am to find out about new policies concerning Papua New Guineans in America, I call Washington. What are the visa renewal process going on? How do I renew my passport? So what I'm trying to tell you is that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. But in order for us to release what God has given us, we have to submit ourselves under what God has put over us. If you remember when Matty Montgomery was here, he talked about We've been permitted by God to have access to the inheritance God has. And then he went on and said, just being permitted alone is not enough. We have to be positioned to have access to the inheritance. And the story he gave was a story of David and his father. David was, out. David, David was anointed as a boy to be a king, but he went through the season, the process of positioning and David was at the battlefield while his brothers were fighting, just honoring his dad and serving his brothers, which became the vehicle that thrust him into what he was made for. I can say the same in this way. David's father was the authority over him. So David submitted to that authority and then served. And when he did that, he, he within through that, established the character. He established within himself what, what it would take to handle what God was going to release over him. So what I want to really emphasize over us tonight here is that God is doing such amazing thing within our midst. And I love the moments when I get to pray and prophesy over somebody and share the gospel. But if the only thing that I do is just that, and I have to wait for the next moment so I can do that. But if I see a trash on the floor and I don't have the desire in me to pick it up, there is a disconnection there. God wants to release his glory over us as a, as a company of people. But first, he wants to groom us, just as a father does. And one of the things that we have to, like right now, we can become spectators of what God is doing here, or we can become participants. Participants, we can come and do a little bit here and there and still or we can become stewards, saying, I, I go to River House, but I want to take ownership of what God is doing here in, this, in our midst. I want to bring myself, God, what is your heart's desire concerning the movement you are doing here? How can I become a highway for my brother or sister to be 
serve and reach their potential and what God has for their lives. And if we'll position our li- ourselves to be a highways through weeds, others can reach their destiny. What a community of people we will be. And so I just want to really encourage us, like, in the midst of all the fun uh, thing that God is doing, let us not lose sight of being faithful with the little things that he gives us. And I believe that one of the things as stewards that we are called to do is when God, just like an embassy in my country in Washington, the ambassador there gets orders from my country, from the prime minister or whoever that's there. Same thing, heaven gives orders or he releases his word to shape the culture of what God is doing here as a movement. And that's the word that the man of God is sharing from up here. And specifically what God is entrusting to Jordan and the river house is here. So as stewards, one of the ways that we get to steward what God is doing is like Mary Cleaning to all of what God, the angels said, and pondering it in our hearts and saying, I receive the word of God that's been spoken over us. Because everything the man of God is speaking over us is to shape what God is doing so that we can be prepared, we can be equipped to carry this glory that God is releasing over us in River House. So, We have to guard our hearts from the thing called familiarity, becoming too familiar. Because we've been two years, right? And by now we've started forming little ideas. And I want to charge you, I feel in my heart by the Lord to say that, just open the leads. If any kind of lead you've been you and I have been putting about what this is and start forming our ideas, just strip that off. It's going to rob you of what God has for you and what God has for me. Because when you have an idea of what God is doing, the tendency is to say, oh, I know what's going to be shared. Then where is the hunger? There is only one law. One of the greatest men of God, John G. Lake, said, if there's one thing I can give to somebody, it's the gift of hunger. And if there is hunger in our hearts, it creates the room for the presence and the glory of God for us to carry. And so I really feel and I believe that, that what this movement is as embodied and we've all become part of this ark is an invitation for us to be part of it. And I want to also tend my attention if, if there are people that you're just trying to feel and in, in here today that you're just trying to, this group seems cool, let me check it out. And you just here putting your toe into the water and just trying to feel and check out. I just want to warn you, that's not how the kingdom of God operates. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of man, you have to first understand before you believe. In the kingdom of God. You believe, and then the understanding comes. So if you would dare to jump in the river and not just try to figure out, you will receive the benefits of what God is doing in our midst. Uh, how are we doing? Time. Yeah, and so 
Before I close here, I just want to invite you. If you feel like there has been, like for myself, I had to reach a point to where I have to come under authority. Remember the Roman centurion? The only reason he had a revelation Jesus was the healer was because, what did he say? I'm a man under authority, and I say to these, go to, go to these, and these, go to these. And so because he was under authority, he could have the revelation that Jesus was the healer. There are things in God that can only be released if we are willing to bring ourselves under submission to the authority of God. And so if there is areas in our hearts that you feel like, I need to surrender. I need to fully give myself in and not try to feel and see how things go. And just say, God, I'm here. What do you have to release through me in what you're doing in Riverhouse? I, I just don't want to be a spectator or a participant. I want to be a steward of the move of God. If that's, if that's your heart, I want to invite you. The prayer team is going to be up here. You're welcome. Come up and we can just pray for you. And there is grace here. There is something about coming up to the altar that just says yes, and the grace of God comes upon you. And this is not to accuse you or condemn because that's the old covenant. Jesus perfected it. This is just an invitation. Let's go. Yeah. So, Father, we just say thank you. Holy Spirit, we just say thank you so much for what you are doing. And we just invite you to speak to our hearts and convict us and the areas that we need to continue surrender, we ask you to bless us with that. In Jesus' name.